Today we're talking about cloudy with a chance of Christmas. Um, you know, this uh, Christmas is almost here. Um, these years when Thanksgiving falls late like it did this year, what was it, the 28th of November? Uh, Christmas is on you so fast, and you're just like, oh, wow, it is here. I saw a um, study uh, done this year, and this made, it shocked me. It says 45% of Americans just want it to be over. They just want Christmas over. You know, and for others of us, it is our flat favorite time of the year. You know, it, it, it's weird to have the same celebration have such different experiences depending on who you are. Um, I've thought about that. You know, why is it that some of half of a population just wants it over? Half of us, this is our favorite time of year. And it occurred to me that it's really quite a complicated, complex thing that Christmas has become to us. And I just put up some of the elements. There's Jesus. Of course there's Jesus. We want to meet Jesus at Christmas. There's giving to the needy. You know, so good so far. Uh, there's uh, shopping and gifts and the process of getting those and the process of the money that goes, by, goes into that. There's feasting and there's parties. Um, there's family and for some of us, that's a real positive. You know, I can't wait to be with these people. Other times, it's not so much that way. It either is difficult relationships or maybe we can't be with them this year, and it makes it feel quite different. There's travel. There's music. There's decorations. There's traditions. And then there's just stress because we're trying to get all of that done in one month. And you add all of that up, and it, it's, there's a lot of layers to this thing that we call Christmas. And when you think about it, our expectation in this culture kind of is my life should be ideal in all of these categories. My family ought to be perfect. You know, I ought to have the money to do the gifts that I want. My relationships ought to be whole. And if in any way our life doesn't match up to all of these, and there's probably others I forgot about, we feel it acutely right now. Because it seems like everybody else's is perfect. It's just me. And so we feel it. Um, so, you know, we may love it. It may be difficult for us. But I'm going to, just to give us some easy handles to hold on to that, just to recognize that, you know, we've got kind of two different ways we can experience this. Maybe we've got a foot in each camp. But I'm going to say, for some of us, our stockings feel too empty to have Christmas. feels like, you know, those things that my life is supposed to look like, it doesn't. And so my stocking feels too empty. Others of us, our stocking feels too full. It's like, I got so much of that stuff going on, I don't know how I'm going to get to Jesus. I may miss the main thing because of all the peripheral stuff that's going on. Can you have Christmas as God intends it when your stocking is empty in our language today? Can you have Christmas when your stocking is so stuffed? My answer is yes, you can. And I'm praying that today God will help all of us do that. So let's pray and ask Him to meet us. Lord Jesus, uh, You came into the world at great cost. Uh, you did everything it took to seek us out and save us. And now at this time of the year when we remember that You came and You still come, we want to experience You, Lord, whatever uh, our 
stocking has or doesn't have, so to speak. We want you to be at the heart of this. And we ask you to come and make that real for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you read the New Testament, the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all life stories of Jesus. They're all an account of Jesus' life, and each of them gives some, some of them more than others, but gives some ink to how did Jesus come into the world. And if you look at what they used in terms of Old Testament Scriptures to explain Jesus' birth, they all dipped into the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, probably more than any other book. Let me just read you a few of these passages, see if you recognize these, if you've heard these before this time of year. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Heard that one? Isaiah 9:2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness... On them light has shined. Probably heard that one too. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Probably heard that one too. Might not have realized those are all from the book of Isaiah. We're going to actually look at Isaiah chapter 35 today. It's one of the most famous books in the Bible on joy. And we're looking at it because it's joy in a certain set of circumstances. It's very analogous to the way you and I come to Christmas with a mixed bag in our lives. You know, we want to have joy. We want to have our lives to be all, you know, look like the ideal. But it's usually not that way. And in Isaiah 35, it's a book, it's a chapter on joy, but the people are just about to experience being conquered and taken into captivity in Babylon. But God, Holy Spirit led this chapter to be written to say, let me tell you where I'm taking things beyond that. And I'm going to read it uh, in pieces and then unpack them for you. First, from verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So it's kind of an acknowledgement. You know, there's some wilderness in life. There's some wilderness coming up. But I am taking, he's going to make, God saying, I'm going to make that desert bloom. How many of you have ever been to the desert in springtime? And see how that, that comes alive when it blooms. It's kind of like driving down 280 next to Edgewood Park right in that, that time of the year when it's just covered with color. God's saying, I can make deserts do that. If your circumstances feel desert-like, I do a good job with deserts. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance and with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. When you're fearful, when you're hurting, your hands get weak, your knees start knocking, your heart gets anxious. And in this passage, God is saying, I want you to be strong if you feel that way because I am coming to save you. I am coming to save you. 
A little bit of uh, Hebrew 101. Does anybody know what the Hebrew word for save is? Yeshua. Does anybody know what we translate Yeshua as? Jesus. Jesus. So if you read Matthew 21, 21, where uh, the angel says to uh, Joseph, saying, go ahead and marry this woman Mary, Uh, this child is from me. He says, she will bear a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. The angel would, the word he would have used was Yeshua, salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation. Give him the name Jesus or salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, when it says God is going to save you, to me it always feels like God's kind of winking at me. He's going to Jesus you. He's going to open a can of Jesus on you. So whenever you see that, you need to think that you can't even say the name Jesus without proclaiming that that is what God does. He saves. He comes. He meets us. So if I ask you this question, does the Mississippi River flow from south to north or from north to south? flows from north to south. Now, if you've flown over it, you know it meanders all over the place. There's sandbars. There's all kinds of twists and turns. But you know that that sucker, it flows south. How is God going to meet you? I don't know in salvation. All I know is that the direction He flows is towards salvation. You cannot even say His name without proclaiming that that is His nature. He meets us. He comes, and He saves us. Continuing on, verse uh, 5 to 7, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Kind of every category of what salvation could look like to people who lived in a kind of a nomadic, arid place, these verses put salvation in that context and say it is coming. The hot places, the dry places, they're going to be flowing with water of God's salvation. In every category that salvation can come, it will come. If you were to put that in a modern context, we don't live, well, I guess we could live in a desert if we didn't have uh, sprinklers and irrigation, but to try and put it in a modern context... Might say, Are you lonely? Are you ill? Do you have money trouble? Are you depressed? Do you have relationship trouble? Do you have work burdens? Though I haven't the foggiest idea how, I can simply tell you that the message of Christmas is that God comes. Jesus comes. He is Emmanuel. He comes and He meets us in those categories of where our life doesn't live up to the ideal. The message of Christmas is He comes. Details TBD, but He comes. Verse 8, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return And come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Saying beyond whatever clouds that are there between you and Christmas, 
There is salvation that comes. That's the direction the current of God flows. He's talking about an everlasting joy. Yeah, you've got clouds in your life? Of course you do. Do I have clouds in mind? Of course I do. But there is a joy that transcends them, an everlasting joy. And the message of Christmas is that we serve a God who comes for us and meets us. So let me talk to you if you feel like you're in that piece of the population for whom your stocking seems too empty this year. It feels like the things my life should look like, it doesn't. Um, how can I actually experience that joy this year? Okay, let me put that list back up of some of the layers of Christmas. Jesus, giving to the needy, gifts, shopping, feasting, parties, family, travel, music, decorations, traditions, stress. Um, you may be saying, you know, on too many of these categories, I don't seem, my life doesn't measure up, and I feel it really acutely right now. It doesn't seem like I can really have much of a Christmas. I want to uh, dig back with you a little bit, just history-wise, into where did we get Christmas? How did it come into being? Um, there was a, a celebration in the Catholic Church for centuries called Christ Mass was the Mass where you celebrate the coming of Christ, that He came into the world, that God sent Emmanuel, God with us. And so in late December, that Mass was celebrated, Christ Mass. Now in early December, there was another uh, church holiday called St. Nicholas Day. And Nicholas became a saint uh, because there was a family with, uh, that was very poor, they had three young daughters who were of marriageable age, but they could, the family could not marry them off because they didn't have the money to pay the dowry, which was a part of the deal back in those days. And in that, that era, there was not really other paths. There were not really other paths for young women to go down. If you didn't marry, there really weren't career paths or other things that you could do. And Nicholas felt moved by the, the hardship of their situation and he came and he gave the family the money so that those girls could go out and get married. And as the tradition went, that he went by their window. They had their stockings hung up by the window to dry while they slept, threw the money in the window, and right into the stockings. Now, who knows whether that part happened, but the part of his intervention for the family in need, eventually he was made a saint called St. Nicholas, and Christmas became kind of a fusing of these two things, the Christ Mass, where we remember that God comes and that He saves, and this idea of giving to the needy, of, of remembering, of being inspired by what Nicholas did so that we ourselves would find folks who are, are in need and, do, and intervene for them. Now, kids thought, this, hearing in uh, St. Nicholas Sunday, wow, hang your stocking up, stuff gets thrown into it, awesome. So, stockings start going up. Okay, pretty good, pretty harmless so far. So far, so good. Um, and so, if you put the, the early Christmas, you know, say pre-100 years ago, next slide, that's the list at that point. It's for the needy, and it's Christ's Mass. It's remembering that God came. Now, Madison Avenue gets a hold of this, and the list begins to grow. And the list becomes all of this stuff, the gifts, the shopping, the feasting, the parties, the families, the travel, 
the straps, the music decorations, and all of that. If your stocking seems empty, you can still do the heart of what this is about. The, the categories that we may feel disqualify me actually aren't the core of the core. The core is Jesus, and it's giving to the needy in the same way that God gave to us needy people when He came into the world for, on our behalf. I remember one of the purest Christmases in my life was Christmas 1984. I had just gone as a missionary to Congo, uh, now called Zaire, but it's living in Lubumbashi, Congo. I had been there for about six months. It got to be Christmas. It was incredibly disorienting. Um, they don't celebrate Christmas as, as the big deal we have it. Uh, New Year's is the big deal there. Um, it's the hottest time of the year because where I was was on the other side of the equator, so the seasons are flipped. And I remember going down with the bishop that I worked with downtown. He had to run an errand, and I'm sitting in the car while he's running an errand, and a young boy who's selling stuff comes up to my window, and Merry Christmas, and is showing me all this stuff. And I, out of the corner of my eye, I see that his partner is over here and has leaned in the other window of my car, has opened the glove compartment, and has my passport in his hand. So I ball up my fist. I fly across the car to punch him into the next county. He drops my passport and runs. And I'm like, really, God? Is this what it is? Is this what Christmas has disintegrated into for me? Yet I went back home that night, and I said, you know, Jesus, you were a lot further from home that first Christmas than I am. And you gave up a whole lot more to be a missionary to us than I've ever given up to be a missionary to the Congolese. And that Christmas for me was one of the purest it had ever been, and my stocking was absolutely empty of everything except Jesus. And yet for me, that year it happened. A couple other Christmas characters you may know. Pop up that slide. Mary and Joseph. Mary has an unexplained pregnancy that will likely cost her her reputation, maybe her engagement, could even get her stoned. Joseph has a fiancé who is unexplainably pregnant, and he knows he's not the dad. He's got this huge faith stretch to believe that God was telling the truth when God said, I, by my Holy Spirit, brought this pregnancy about. He's got to take his family on a forced march 90 miles with his wife, great with child, to get her where she has to be for the census. And no sooner is Jesus born than they become refugees and have to flee to Egypt. Their stocking was pretty empty in all those other categories. And yet, they had an awesome Christmas because they were at the manger, loving that baby, receiving the gift that is the heart of the heart. God's prescription, if your stocking seems empty, is you... Congratulations, you may actually have the stage set for one of the purest Christmases you can have because the main thing will be the main thing. What might God's prescription be if our stocking seems very full? Um, you know, I'm right in that stage of life. I've got 13-year-old, 11-year-old, a 9-year-old. Um, we've got all of the stuff and then add on to it the pastoral layer of trying to help hundreds of people experience Christmas and that stocking gets mighty full. Uh, I was at a, a previous church, it was a large church, and my boss, we were taking a break at our staff meeting, 
And we went over to Pete's Coffee, and we're standing in line, and it's early December, and he just goes, I hate Christmas. Because he, he just sees all these worship services and parties and all of this stuff he's got to pull together. I hate Christmas. It makes me want to go to Catalina and drink for a month. And we're just, you know, it was hilarious. And this lady behind us in line is saying, you're my pastor and you're scaring me. <laughs> but, but you know, sometimes the stocking feels so full And you're wondering, how am I even going to get Jesus in there? Let me throw up the picture of somebody else. Three wise men. These guys were kings. They had it all. They had all the money they needed. They had position. They had influence. They had all of that stuff in that they made an intentional journey to get to Jesus. They didn't let all the other stuff that their lives were filled with prevent them from getting to the one who was the center of Christmas. I'll tell you three things that have helped us over the years. You may have a whole other list for yourself, and that'd be great. Um, But three things that have helped us over the years when our stocking is full. We try and find something as a family that we can do for people who are in need. Like this year, we're organizing people on our street to go and adopt some families in Redwood City that don't have much this year. And so we got our neighbors going. And, and for me, last, last Christmas we did the same thing, and that was, that was the moment when Christmas happened for me. That was when it happened. Um, my wife over the years has picked up these really amazing children's books that have Christmas stories. And we'll take a couple of times in the next couple of weeks, and we'll just sit as a family and we'll read that stuff together. And Christmas seems to happen for us when we're doing that. Um, and right about now, about the 15th of every December, I start, in my, I start getting up a little before the family is stirring, and I read a portion out of the first part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm just reading the story for myself. I usually go into the room where a Christmas tree is, I plug it in, and I just read it. And the real deal starts taking center stage in my heart. I'm still busy the rest of the day, but the real deal has a chance. Um, one of the things we're working on, but I don't think we've turned the corner on, is how to do the gifts, presents thing so it doesn't s- displace and confuse our kids. But this year, what we're trying to do is have our kids intentionally cross one thing off their Christmas list and replace it with something that they're going to give to one of these families. I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say, when your stocking is full, my experience, the real Christmas happens in moments. It's not a solid 30 days of it. It happens in moments. And look for those moments. Intentionally steer into them like the wise men intentionally steered into it. If your stocking is full, you've got to remember that list we put up. It is a prioritized list. Those things don't all weigh the same. Um, and you've got to steer into the stuff that actually matters the most. And lastly, I just want to put up a, um, a picture. You know, when the whole deal was done and you're gathered around the manger, you got Mary and Joseph whose stockings were empty except for Jesus. you got shepherds who were kind of considered low down on the food chain in that day. Their stockings were pretty empty. And you got wise men who were kings whose stockings were overflowing 
And yet all of them are experiencing Christmas because they intentionally got to the manger to worship Jesus, who's the heart of the heart of the heart. So whatever your stocking looks like, God's invitation is to get to Jesus and have Christmas. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us orphans, but you came for us. You chose to leave the comforts of heaven and be born as a poor baby and be raised far from being treated as the king that you were, but even um, knowing all kinds of, of humble circumstances, humiliations, and even suffering and death eventually. But you came. That's the direction you flow. We can't even say your name without proclaiming that it is your nature to come and seek and save us. And we ask, Lord, that whatever our life circumstances are, that we will experience that first person this year in a way that uh, changes who we are and how we live. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.